And this is Retinax5, and you're listening to the Geekin' Podcast. Uh, this is Comic Book Wednesday with our reviews. We were trying out new rating systems because I get bored with stars. Uh, who doesn't? I mean, everybody does stars. We need to be more imaginative here on the Geekin' Podcast. I, I totally agree. Uh, Amazing X-Men number one, which features uh, Nightcrawler, who is dead and is still dead in the comic book. Yet he's the star he's of this the star comic? Of the comic book. He stays dead throughout the entire comic. I thought Wolverine was the only Marvel character who's popular enough to star in a comic book, even if he's dead. <laughs> Him and Jean Grey. Um, oh, yes, of course, Jean Grey. Yeah. It was an amazing comic book, amazing X-Men, but it was also amazing, and I loved it. Nightcrawler's one of my favorite characters, and I really enjoyed the way they're working this. I'm really excited to see the next one. I gave it five out of five fuzzy elves. Oh, nice. I like that. Uh, long Shot Saves the Marvel Universe, number one. I enjoyed it, but I'm a big Longshot fan from back in the day. See, I'm not familiar with Longshot. I heard the Saves the Marvel Universe, and I was thinking it was one of, the, one of those awesome Deadpool books. No. But it would have been Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe in that case. No, it's a little wacky. It's a little little different. Uh, Longshot's from another dimension um, that the X-Men got stuck in for a while, Mojo World. And so since he's associated with the X-Men, people assume he's a mutant, but he's not. And, but he does have luck powers, and as long as he uses his powers for good, good things happen. But if he starts to use his luck powers selfishly, then bad things happen. Oh, okay, that sounds interesting. Um, like, um, he's walking down the street, he's broke, no money, hasn't eaten in a while, and decides he's going to push his luck and try and get a free taco out of this taco stand. <laughs> <laughs> And so as he uses his power, the person agrees to give him a free taco, but in the apartment building behind the taco stand, the wall blows out. And it just so happens that there's these robbers there robbing the place, and they, they blew the wall out. Hmm. And so things like that happen around Longshot when he uses his powers for selfish reasons. I give it three out of five. While I did really enjoy the comic book, if you're not a Longshot fan, you – you don't know who he is, it, it can be kind of confusing because there's a lot of backstory there. And I suspect in the next issues, it's just going to be more confusing the more they, they bring people in and stuff. Well, that's interesting to me. I mean, uh, Lai Smith, you know I'm not a Marvel expert the way you are. Uh, but is Longshot that well-known of a character that you can sort of throw a book out there without that much – well, that would be confusing for people who don't know? His backstory. This is the first time ever I've ever even heard the character. He's he's got a small following. He's one of those cult characters. He was in the most recent X Factor run for a while, but he's just not somebody they use very often. Um, he was with Dazzler for a long time. They were together okay. uh, back in the eighties and early nineties. They were they were a couple for a long time, but okay. I I've never seen this character, but between mentioning the books he's been in and Dazzler, I'm somehow seeing Rob Liefeld being an artist. I believe he did uh, quite a bit. I mean, that was during his era, so. So lots of pouches and small feet. Yeah, he's got a, a at least a used to. I, mean, I don't remember if he does in this comic book, but um, he always had a star on his eye. Oh, that's right, he glows <laughs> when he uses his powers now. Oh, nice. Uh, back in the day, he had this uh, star tattoo on his eye, and uh, but now, now it just glows when he uses his powers. Um, moving on, we did uh, Phantom Stranger number 13. 
which I really enjoyed, which is um, it's a it's a different comic book for me because it's very uh, I don't want to say necessarily religious heavy, but there's a lot of religious undertones. He's a biblical character himself, mm-hmm. and so there's there's a lot of uh, biblical mythology there, um, which is normally kind of a turnoff for me because they end up it ends up turning to kind of being preachy most of the time mm-hmm. when they do that, and it didn't with this. I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the way they they worked it, and, and um, he's got a connection to two other characters, uh, Pandora and the Question. And so I'm I'm really interested on how they continue on with that connection. Now I read the first uh, when when DC did the New Fifty Two, if I remember correctly, because I've I've been I've missed some comics lately due due to some stuff going on in my life, and I'm a bit behind. But uh, I seem to remember the Phantom Stranger being sort of an anthology book when they relaunched it with the New Fifty Two, the Phantom Stranger and somebody else. And uh, and the issue is, unless I'm completely wrong, uh, is the book still an anthology or is it just sort of a continuing series now? No, he may have been in – I'm trying to remember the title now. I think it's Action Comics maybe that they're doing a little bit of small story arcs with characters and the switching characters. They had um, Black Lightning and the Blue Devil for a while, but so he may have been in that. But this actually started late, where the other new 52 issues are on number 25. He's only on issue ah. 13. All right. That makes sense. And it's his own – Oh, I think it was the DC Universe book, I remember. DC Universe Presents. Oh, there you go. That must have been what I was thinking of. And while I gave Longshot Saves the Marvel U three out of five Lucky Charms, I <laughs> gave Phantom Stranger 4.5 out of five Mysterious Fedoras. I do like that. I do like that ranking system. So much more exciting than stars. I think, even if the stars are on Longshot's eyes. Exactly. I think mo- more superheroes need fedoras. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think more people in general need fedoras. Exactly. Um, I did Stormwatch number twenty-five because I realized Lobo was in it. I have no idea how long he's been in this comic book, but I, I would have read it a lot sooner had I known. I'm a big Lobo fan, and I had no idea who any of those characters were. It was a little bit confusing, but it was fun. They were, it was very action packed, very fast. Uh, Lobo got in some nice little quips as he tried to run away from the fight, and, <laughs> and I gave that three out of five loud mouth bass stitches. And my question is, was the word bass stitch actually used in the comic book? It was not. Unfortunately, they're trying to tone down our Lobo. I think they are just a little bit, um, which is surprising because they've got another Lobo that I, I'm. They may use Bastich with. I don't know. I don't know what direction they'll go with that. But he's a very different looking Lobo. Have you seen that? I haven't. He's um, smaller. He's thinner. Um, and does he still ride a motorcycle? Does he still ride a motorcycle? No, it's a spaceship. I don't think it was a motorcycle. It was a spaceship. Ah. And, um, but he's supposedly the real Lobo. Back when they did Villains Month, he had an issue. Uh, all his own, it was Lobo. And you find out at the end that our Lobo is an imposter. He's impersonating the real Lobo. 
And so Lobo is on his way to Earth to confront Lobo. Hmm. But a lot of people this... are very unhappy with new Lobo because of his look. And he's very streamlined, very, he's, like I said, thin, shorter, more assassin-looking than Biker. I guess maybe they thought the Lobo look from the 80s just would not carry on. Well, I understand that, and I, I don't necessarily disagree with that point of view. I mean, uh, it's, it's a very dated look, but uh, lots of people are very, very upset about it. I feel like they're trying to cater to women more by making Lobo pretty. <laughs> and as we know, women are huge comic book readers. Right. That is a significant portion of the market. And while more and more women are reading comic books all the time, they're not reading Lobo. Indeed. That was not in any way a slam. I want more women reading comics. I want more kids reading comics. I want more anybody reading comics. You could teach a dog to read. I'd want dogs to read comics. But uh, at the same time, let's let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater that isn't even in the tub. Exactly. Not that that makes any sense, but it sounded good when I said it. And to, to my mind, it. <laughs> Uh, notable news this week: We had uh, Disney and Netflix get together to do um, big news. Yeah, four uh, series is what they're contracted for. Press release says, uh, led by a series focused on Daredevil, followed by Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, and Luke Cage, the epic will unfold over multiple years of original programming, taking Netflix members deep into the gritty world of heroes and villains of Hell's Kitchen, New York. It will eventually come to a Defenders miniseries that reimagines a dream team of self-sacrificing heroic characters. This sounds very, very interesting. And I think for those of us who might be a little underwhelmed by Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, this is something to latch on to. Though it is surprising that that Disney is going to Netflix for this. They're sort of abandoning their fellow uh, Disney a company of ABC and jumping online. Sort of an interesting direction to go into. It, it may be intentional so that they can do something darker or, or a little more violent or, you know, uh, maybe even curse a little bit. Whereas oh. uh, Disney tends to frown on that sort of thing. Oh, shucks. Which is about as far as you go in a Disney nowadays. <laughs> right. And a lot of people were saying that they think that it's going to come out as four separate TV shows, one featuring Jessica Jones, one featuring Luke Cage, one featuring Iron Fist, and the other featuring Luke Cage. That does seem to be what most people are thinking, but you and I had a conversation the other day about this, and you have a rather different spin on this. Well, because the press release says, led by a series focused on, and then lists the characters, and says the epic will unfold over multiple years. And so that makes me think that you'll have four seasons of one series, each focusing on a different character each season, while the other characters will rotate into uh, supporting characters, which makes more sense to me because Luke Cage is married to Jessica Jones and Iron Fist is his best friend and they work together. And that way they could tie in Daredevil to those people being in the same city and all. But to separate mm -hmm. up those characters, then who's going to be their supporting cast? Because traditionally they are each other's supporting cast. 
Yeah, that would seem to be the only way that would work unless they the, – the only alternative would be if it were four separate series, but they were filmed simultaneously and released simultaneously. So they had sort of a shared universe. You know, Daredevil would pop up in Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones would pop up in Luke Cage. And it would be uh, four separate series that had a shared continuity. But at that point, it's getting a little bit too complicated – to follow, I think, and and rather expensive, actually. Yeah. I think your idea of basically a Marvel Netflix series going for four seasons with the same group of characters, and each season one of the characters sort of moving to the foreground, right. uh, it's probably most likely. I know the geeks in us would lo- love the idea of, oh, wow, we, there's going to be four series. On Monday night, I can watch Daredevil. On Tuesday, I can watch Jessica Jones. Thir- you know, Thursday, Iron Fist. And they all are going to cross over to one another. Um, I think that's a little bit too ambitious. I think one series um, is is the way they're going to go, and I, I like your idea. It makes the most sense. I think so. Uh, my other question is who, who they're going to get to play Iron Fist because Ray Park, who played Darth Maul in Star Wars, loves this character, and he's he pushed for it for a few years trying to get an Iron Fist movie. He wants to be Iron Fist, so I wonder if they're going to continue with that and let him be Iron Fist. How old is he now? He's getting up there. I mean, he's not. Yeah, I just say, but he's older now. Phantom Menace was fourteen years ago. No, don't don't get me wrong. He could probably still kick my ass now, (laughs) but (laughs) you have to wonder. uh, Everything's young, young, young. They want to go young on everything. So yeah, I figure we'll end up more with a arrow type actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Iron Fist, which is, I think, a little bit of a shame because I think if somebody is that passionate about the character and wants it that bad, then they'll do the best job with it. Sort of like uh, Thomas Jane with The Punisher. Right. Uh, it should be interesting. I mean, it's it, the important thing is that we're getting more superheroes on television. Right. We're getting more of these characters that we love on television. And, and – Again, as you mentioned earlier, with it being Netflix, they're going to be able to circumvent some of the ratings, some of the standards. And, you know, some people think that's a good idea. and It is. But what I'm looking at it from a point of view of by going to the Internet, they've got a guaranteed number of episodes. They don't have to worry about being canceled because of ratings or anything like that. So I think creatively – it's going to have a lot more freedom and a lot. It's just going to be more interesting than if it were on network television. But certainly, yeah, there's going to be the con- the idea that hey, they can swear and you know you, you know you have blood blood packs for you know violent scenes right. and, and things along those lines. Uh, but I'm more excited by the fact that when you do something like this, you get all you get your number of episodes up front. The money's all taken care of, and you can just go and do your thing. So whoever the creative teams, and that's always the important thing, who's going to be running these shows, uh, they're going to have a hopefully a lot of freedom uh, to be able to tell some great stories and not have to be worried about oh ratings are going down. We got to you know we got to get a boy band guy in here to try and get our teen ratings up next week. Right. I'm actually kind of surprised that they're going this route. Uh, not that they're going with this route, but that they're going with this route with these characters. Being a street-level team of superheroes, I kind of assumed we'd see at least Luke Cage and Iron Fist in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That's very true. That is very true. And, and we may still. I mean, it's all going to be owned by Disney. 
And I'm sure on some level, their lawyers or whoever is drawing up the contracts with Netflix are going to want some sort of availability for the actors to possibly cross over. And from Netflix's point of view, that can't be a bad thing. I mean, I'm sure that at the end of the day, the ABC show is going to have more viewers. So if Iron Fist or Luke Cage shows up on Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, that could draw viewers to the Netflix series, which is both good for good for both Disney and uh, Netflix. So they may still show up on the show. That's true. There was actually rumors that in the first episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the character played by J. August Richards was going to be Luke Cage. Oh, wow. I, that – you know what? That actually does make sense now that you think about it. It would have worked. Or now that you mention it. The powers that he seemed to have in the the commercials leading up to that episode and everything. And the fact – he's a wonderful actor. He mm-hmm, certainly definitely. Done it. So uh, I was kind of disappointed that he didn't turn out to be – Luke Cage. Well, that I had that that whole episode was a little disappointing. It wasn't. I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoy. I actually do enjoy Agents of Shield. It's not as good as it could be, but I think that first episode is probably the weakest one that has has aired. I, I've 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 actually enjoyed every episode since the first episode uh, I'll, I'll better. Yeah, my my biggest problem with that episode was J. August Richards actually because I'm I'm such a big fan of his and I've known him from Angel. And he's such a great actor, and people recognize him, so he kind of overshadowed the rest of the cast that you're just getting to know. Yes, definitely. I that's almost that's pretty much spot on. Pretty much spot. Well, of course. I mean, yeah. From what I'm saying is what you just said is pretty much exactly what I was thinking. Yet again, Lie Smith, you have dug into my mind and, and taken the thoughts straight out of them and was, left me a babbling was... idiot. That was really my, my biggest issue. My really my only issue with the, with it was uh, he just did such a great job, and that character was was so big in that episode that you almost expected him to be a, a recurring character and part of the team. And, for that. and he hasn't been, and that's one of the things that bothered me. Yeah. Um, moving on. Did we? Oh yes. Other news. Yeah, we. Uh, this is just we are living in 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 the great age. Of geekery. This is a wonderful time to be a geek because we have, of course, our comic books coming out in printed and digital form. We have comics on television and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We have comics coming to the web uh, with this Netflix deal. And of course, the the top of the mountain, the place where comics have really made their mark in the last uh, five, six, seven years has been films. And uh, we've had some big news in the last week, week and a half related to probably the most anticipated superhero film since the Avengers, I would say. And that's the uh, Superman Batman film. I think that's very accurate. The Superman Batman is uh, until we hear about a Justice League movie. I think this is going to be the big thing out of DC. Mm-hmm. I hear they're they're trying to cast a Nightwing who's going to be the disgruntled ex sidekick of Batman. See, when I hear disgruntled ex-sidekick of Batman, I'm thinking Jason Todd and Red Hood. Which, now, that's a character that I would love to see in this film. I'd love to see Red Hood in any film. Uh, Even, like, what, the Smurfs? The, Anything? The, just Red Hood? Just, you know, he, he should just pop into every film? He's like bacon. He makes everything better. Just, <laughs> <laughs> Red Hood is the bacon of comic books. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Smurfs? Uh, no. Um, but I'd love to see him in, in anything, really. Uh, anything related to Batman, I think, just adds 
so much more to the character of having him as a villain because he's got that connection to Batman and he knows who Batman is. And um, so you've got Batman trying to bring him down. And at the same time, he thought of Jason Todd as his son and mm-hmm. he blames himself for him dying. And so it's a very complicated relationship. But instead we're going to have uh, Nightwing. This would be uh, Dick Grayson, correct? Yes, Dick Grayson. Yes. Who can sometimes come off a little whiny, especially in his early years. Uh, I thought, at least. Well, yeah, yeah, he could. I, I think, uh, yeah, he could come off just a little bit whiny. But, you know, his his parents were killed right in front of his eyes, so you got to cut him a little bit of I guess. Slack. That only carries you so far, I think. <laughs> <laughs> It's not like his girlfriend was stuffed in a refrigerator. Exactly. That gives you permission to whine for the rest of your life. For the rest of every your comic book career. Uh, but that's another podcast. <laughs> that is another podcast, and that will be a very interesting podcast. <laughs> Since I think both of us have rather have rather strong feelings about that particular character. Well, I'll have to uh, put explicit in the title. Uh, actually, <laughs> real quick, speaking of that character, I did a review. A character who shall not be named. <laughs> right. Uh, the week not this past week, but the week before, I did a review for Witchblade 170, which was written by. They're up 170 on Witchblade. Yeah, they just hit 170. Unbelievable. I I guess I was 12 when I started reading Witchblade, so yeah, it's been around a while. That's crazy. I mean, that's wonderful, but that makes me feel old. <laughs> but I did a review on it, and. Um, the writer for that one was Ron Mars. Ah, from Mr. Mm-hmm. I have a love-hate relationship with because I really enjoy his writing, but he created Kyle Rayner. Which is unforgivable. Unforgivable. And so <laughs> the funny thing is I said this in my review. I said – Ron Mars did a fantastic job, and I have a love-hate relationship with him because I love his writing. But he create—I hate him because he created Kyle Rayner, and <laughs> he doesn't even know I exist. And then I posted this to Twitter, and I tagged Top Cow, mm-hmm. I tagged Ron Mars, I tagged the artist and the colorist, and Ron Mars retweeted the article. <laughs> <laughs> when I got the alert, I just about died of embarrassment. I never even considered him actually paying attention. I wonder if he read it or if he just retweeted it. But Well, if he retweeted it, he may have read it and may even have agreed with you <laughs> saying, oh, I wish I hadn't I wish I wish hadn't created Kyle Reiner here. He's such a whiny bitch. I, I, I hope that's the way he feels. <laughs> but I, I thought it was very funny that uh, after saying that, he retweeted the article. But uh, back to Batman and Superman, or Superman Batman. Who's Who gets first billing there? Well, that's actually a very good question. Uh, originally, I had thought it would be Superman. Well, they're going with the versus thing, which I have a whole another issue with. I, I mean, I'm sorry, superheroes meeting by fighting and then working together to save the world. It's not. Well, there's a plot we've seen before. Uh, so I'm not too fond of that. But originally, I thought it was going to be Superman versus Batman because they announced it as the Man of Steel sequel. So I had this image of Superman being in it and Batman having a supporting role. Okay. But the more we're hearing about this, the more we're hearing uh, Batman, now we're hearing Nightwing. Mm-hmm. We've also heard of a couple other characters being mentioned who I think we're going to be discussing in a couple minutes. 
I'm, they might as well just call this thing Justice League. And I think that's what it is. I think this is a backdoor Justice League movie for DC. They're trying to jump into the Avengers without having to do all of the, the building blocks, so to speak, that Marvel did. Uh, it just seems like this film is getting really big, which makes sense because as soon as they announce Superman and Batman, that film is guaranteed $200 million, $250 million opening weekend yeah. alone. But it just seems like the more we hear, the more that's filtering out from behind the behind the Gotham gates, so to speak, um, and is getting out onto the web, this is a lot of characters that they're weaving into this movie. I agree. But at the same time, it may be a smart move because most of these characters, they've told their backstories over and over and over again. While Wonder Woman yes. hasn't had her own movie, she had her own TV show. She's been in numerous cartoons. All of us remember Linda Carter. Oh, yes. All of us remember Linda Carter. Who I think should, should at least be allowed to try out for the role, I think. Of, of, <laughs> how about of, uh, of her mother? Oh, there you go. Uh, that would be a great cameo, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that would be a great. That, be I mean, I yeah, just just put, Linda Carter still looks amazing. Yes. And even if she didn't still look like, look amazing, she's she uh, up until this point is certainly the definitive Wonder Woman, and that's not simply by default because who else has played her? She played that role wonderfully. Yes. I mean, it was very it was the seventies, and so there was some camp to it, but she's she played that role perfectly. I mean, it's, you're, it's a lucky actor who goes through life with one role that is iconic, right. and she has a. An iconic role, and yeah, there, there should be room for her. heck. There should be room for Adam West in this movie somewhere. There you go. Stick him in there as uh, Alfred or something. Uh, but but yeah, definitely. I'm not sure Linda- Adam West could lower his ego enough to play Alfred, but it's, <laughs> I think it's a great great suggestion. I'm just not sure Adam West could uh, handle being Alfred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree with you, but still, it would be. Uh, I, and to be honest with you, I think he might blow Ben Affleck off the screen if they shared a scene together. <laughs> He'd have to call him chum at least once. Little chum. Yeah. <laughs> what were you thinking with Jennifer Lopez, little chum? <laughs> but you've got Superman, whose story has been told twice now. Batman, whose story has been told twice now. 27 times by now. Yeah. Uh, and then Wonder Woman, who's been... Well, she hasn't had her own movie. Has been in the forefront of other things. Green Lantern has had his own movie. So, with, like, yeah. once you do well, the better, Justice League, you, you're only dealing with one or two characters. You're trying to catch up with an origin with. And I think the other thing, the the thing that most people don't want to talk about, because we all love these characters, we grew up with these characters. But the 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 dirty little secret, the little truth about this that most people don't want to talk about is a lot of these origin stories just aren't that interesting. Right. They don't make an entire movie. So for some of these characters, maybe a line of dialogue or two is enough for the audience to sort of catch up on what they need to know. And then you can sort of hit the ground running with these characters. Yeah. I mean, Wonder Woman. uh, Yeah. I mean, you can sort of sum up her origin in a couple sentences. Yeah. You don't need to have an entire film. Right. About that. Though the uh, DC animated film about Wonder Woman was excellent. Yeah. That was really good. I highly recommend that. Uh, and again, like Aquaman's origins, I don't think are all that complicated. I think that introducing him to the story could be pretty easy too. I would 
cry tears of joy in the movie theater if Aquaman appeared in Superman versus Batman. I love that character. I think, and I think he's I've always thought that. League. Oh, yeah. And the sad part is the entourage is the closest we've ever come to an Aquaman. <laughs> right. But, but I think he gets left out of so many incarnations of the Justice League that I, I think he's such an important character. I blame the Super Friends. Yeah. He did not come off well in those 70s cartoons. That did he man, I think. I mean, he's going around riding a giant seahorse with like a holding a, a trident, and people just can't take it seriously. Well, he's, he's an easy character to make fun of, too. He talks to the fishes. Right. So, but, but I think the one you'd have to focus on, if I was going to do a Justice League movie, I think the only origin I'd focus on would be Martian Manhunter. Who has a wonderful origin. And I think you could tie that into so many different things, and, and his origin has been told so many different ways that I think you could come up with a really great story to involve him and tie him in and tell his origin. And so it, it kind of almost was a... Martian Manhunter movie. Oh, you shouldn't be saying this. Now I'm like, forget about Affleck and Batman. I want Superman and Martian Manhunter. Yeah. Because I'm sitting there thinking about all the ways, just from the devastation at the end of that movie. I mean, there's so much stuff that could you could have the Martian Manhunter coming to Earth in response to the, you know, the intergalactic attack, you know, aliens already coming to Earth. There, there's so many ways you can write that character coming, you know, coming there, whether it's accidental or what have you, right. depending on which way you want to spin the origin. Oh, I just, I, I, just make a Justice League movie. Yeah. Enough of this crap. Just make a Justice League movie. And then you can do the reverse Marvel. You know, you'd make your Justice League movie, and then you spin your solo films out after that. Right, and then they could be, some of these characters have their first films that wouldn't have to be origin stories. Martian I mean, gets his own movie, and it's not an origin story. Which... I think we're all just sort of done with origin stories. I am. You can just you can just sort of hit the ground running now. So, anyways, uh, so we we're talking Nightwing and uh, then uh, Wonder Woman. I'm hearing a lot of talk about Wonder Woman being in this movie. I, I've heard several things saying that Jamie Alexander has been confirmed, but oh, I don't let's, think. Let's take a moment of silence for Jamie Alexander. Brilliant, actress. spectacular, brilliant actress, brilliant, brilliant. But we need more Sif. But but Sif, Sif, Sif right, that's right. Marvel. And I haven't heard anything actually from DC or Warner Brothers at this point saying this is confirmed. I'm just it's just rumors that it's been confirmed. She's talked about it a little bit, and uh, I think she'd make a. She great seems record. to want, and she seems to want to play the role. Yeah, can you blame her? I mean, not just beginning to be Sif and Wonder Woman, but the money. <laughs> <laughs> She's got the Disney money on one side, the Time Warner money on the other side. She's going to have, a, you know, the way the Marvel films are going, she'll be signed up for years there, and then she'll be able to headline her own film over at DC. I mean, I, I, I hope – I mean, Jamie Alexander kicks butt in the Thor movies. She's wonderful. She's a great actress. Um, not quite sure physically she's sort of the – had the imposing physique. Yeah. That the you know the Amazonian physique of Wonder Woman, but she in the face she looks like Wonder Woman. There was a photo you showed me the other day. You, you sent me a link online that I think it was from her Twitter account, yep. and uh, sort of a Photoshop of her wearing the crown, and she looked like Wonder Woman. Yeah. At least in the face, she looked like Wonder Woman. Uh, and 
the fact that she wants the role, there's something about if an actor wants the role, they're going to give you a little something more. Right. You know, they're, it's, it's a childhood dream for them. And uh, you know that they're going to give you the best they can. And there's something exciting about that. It's almost like we can live vicariously through that. It's like we we love these characters and we wanted to see them. And those actors, they love those characters too. And now they get to play them. It's like we're in the sandbox again. Yeah. I, they, they'll, they'll go the extra mile to bring a little something extra to the role, I think. And Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I mean, the other uh, people I've heard rumored are just – they're, they're not anybody I can even give you their names, but they look. They have the. the they're. Um, they, they still don't have the Amazon look. Who was the? It's one a hard look to find. Show? Her name. Is oh, uh, Ad- Adrian Palacki. Yes. Adrian Palacki. Did you actually get to see her in the costume? I saw some photos of her in the costume, and she. The costume didn't look that great. But she looked like she had a nice physical presence to it. She looked very comfortable in the costume. She looked – she had that – it's a tough combination you have to pull off of being both regal and imposing and uh, because she is a princess. Right. And I thought in the couple photos I had seen – and again, these are photos. I have not seen the pilot, though I heard it's out there somewhere on the intertubes. You know, you can, you can find it somewhere. Um but at least in the photos I saw, while I wasn't impressed with the costume, it seemed a little bit like something you could buy at a Halloween, you know, for Halloween. Right. It didn't really look like it would last through a fight. Uh, but she seemed uh, – I was intrigued, and I kind of wish that we would have been able to see her her take on the role. I, and I, I saw her on Friday Night Lights. I used to watch Friday Night Lights, mm-hmm. and she was, she, was, she was very good in that. I – have gotten to see some clips of the pilot and in motion that costume looks a lot better oh does it um i i liked it and i thought she was built correctly she she's a she looks like an amazon she's a very large woman but not like wwe china right side right right. which is frightening which is and, and that's important too because they're not supposed to be bodybuilders mm-hmm. you know so but but she was uh, she she had the right build she had the right look and um what they did with the, the pilot was they kind of modernized her a little bit and mm-hmm. uh so she didn't come off quite as regal as i wish she would have but I, it kind of worked and i could have seen her on the same screen as arrow i think really yeah i'm really sorry that fell through i thought it, it had a lot of potential Maybe that's what a DC. It'd be nice to see if, with the success of Arrow, it would be nice to see if DC would give that show a chance to launch some of the characters who might not be ready for prime time, who might not be ready for the big screen, and just sort of launch them, sort of like what they did with Smallville toward the end there. You know, when you had some of the Justice League characters popping up, Aquaman, uh, I think even Green Arrow was in there. But uh, Smallville sort of always existed in its own little pocket universe. Yeah so to speak. It would be nice if, because uh, Arrow is such a well-done show, mm-hmm. if you could have had, well, maybe Wonder Girl as opposed to Wonder Woman. You might want to save Wonder Woman for the movie, but it's just, there's so many characters. There's so many, you know, I grew up on DC. The way you grew up on Marvel is the way I grew up on DC, and there's so many characters, and I would just love to see them brought to life. 
I'm going to uh, jump ahead just a little bit here. So okay. two things kind of tie in here. I've also heard rumors about them trying to get Green Arrow pushed into the Batman and Superman movie. And people, the fans especially, really want Arrow in the movie. Oh, boy. Okay, I, I enjoy Arrow. And I, I'm – and this is going to become a recurring theme. I'm behind uh-huh. on this. I, I'm still watching the uh, first season of Arrow. Um, but if you look at the angle that the films are taken – uh, Superman's 33 years old. Batman is going to be a little older than that. Green Arrow is a mature character. He's always seems to be a little bit older than the rest of the characters that he interacts with. Um, at least historically, I know with the new 52, they've made him, they've made him younger. They made him, you know, more like Arrow in a lot of ways. Right. Um, I just don't see with the direction that they seem to be going age wise with Superman and Batman for them to bring in a young 20 something arrow. I think that if they made the character in arrow, if they made Ollie a little lighter and a little more humorous, if they took away that chip on his shoulder, he's always got, then I think he could work. I think he could, if they made him a little more like the comic book where he was a little more snarky and sarcastic, then mm-hmm. I think he would work in the middle of this Batman Superman and bring a little humor to it. And oh, d- uh, yeah, definitely don't mistake me. I love Green Arrow. He's probably my second or third favorite character in all of comic books. Um, when I got out of comic books for a long time, it was Green Arrow comic, uh, Kevin Smith's run, actually, that brought me back into which is comic brilliant. books after being which is I actually loaned you those a while back yeah, as wonderful, wonderful comics. And I love, I love green arrow and I would love to see him on the, on screen. Um, and considering the tone that Zack Snyder and Chris Nolan have brought to superhero, the DC superhero films recently, I think a little humor could be used. Well, yeah, I think a little humor would be a nice, nice change. If this movie takes itself too seriously, it's going to bomb. And considering Man of Steel and the Dark Knight films, they they take darn they take themselves seriously. Uh, so yeah, I I would support Green Arrow or anybody being in there as a, just to lighten the mood just a little bit, so that it's not always um, just so dark and so dour. There's the one of the things I love about the Marvel films, which shocks me because as I've said, I wasn't a Marvel kid growing up. So these characters in a lot of cases are entirely new to me. They're blank slates, but the joy of those films is infectious. You know, there's humor. There's the, the, even the action is, it's hard to describe it. There, there is life and death, you know, th- struggle there and you feel the threat, but at the same time you feel like it's going to be okay. Right. It's going to be okay. They're, they're going to save the day. So Thor is going to save the day. Captain America, the, the Avengers, uh, Iron Man. There's a, a joyfulness, almost a giddiness to those films that reminds me of when I was a kid sitting on the, sitting on my porch, sitting on the, the stair, the, the steps leading up to my porch uh, with a pile of comic books that I picked up from the Seven Eleven that morning and just, Digging into them with this this joy of I'm going to spend the next couple hours eating Twinkies, which I probably shouldn't have done, but eating Twinkies and reading about these uh, superheroes. Yeah. And DC's not, you know, Warner's not doing that with these with their films. They are 
going with the really dark, serious tone. I think I think and in, in, I think including Green Arrow in could be a much needed bit of levity. If not Green Arrow, Flash was another one of those characters that ah, brought that to yeah. the team. Uh, and they they could be going Always that left. direction with Nightwing, bringing bringing him in as a you know disgruntled ex sidekick. Maybe he's going to be the one uh, you know calling Batman names and joking around. <laughs> a lot of that's going to depend on the ca- depending on the casting and of Nightwing. There's where it ties into Arrow. My segue here. I don't think we're going to see Arrow in Batman Superman because they're hinting that they're going to bring Nightwing into Arrow. Really? Um, just tonight I saw an actor named Steve McQueen, who is apparently the one of the leads in Vampire Diaries, which I don't watch. Oh, that's Yes, you're smart. I understand <laughs> that. He has been uh, training and putting uh, pictures on, on his Instagram and stuff of him training and dropping little hints that – and. Uh, apparently he tweeted and said that he was talking about costume designs and tweeted the uh, production company for Arrow's Twitter account. Really? And then he posted one of him training in the gym and him saying uh, uh, Nightwing training for Arrow, and it's him working out in a black sleeveless shirt with the Nightwing logo in the middle. So is it possible that these Nightwing rumors aren't about the film but are actually about the TV show, it that this be, is a misdirection? Maybe they're getting confused. Or if they're not, if these are two separate rumors, that means we're going to have a completely separate Nightwing for each uh, Arrow and the movie, which means that they're <laughs> going to be two separate universes. Crisis on Infinite Earths. <laughs> Somehow a Flash will die. Yeah. That would be the end of the third Superman film. A Flash will die. <laughs> but I'm, I'm worried that means they're not going to tie these in together like Marvel has with their movies and TV shows. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the great things about the way Marvel is doing it is they do have a shared cinematic universe. And I guess Warners can say, well, we can have a shared cinematic universe and then there's the television universe, which is different. But at the same point, comics are comics. I mean, right. if comic book fans are uh, well obsessed, but they love these characters. And when you put these characters, whether they're on film or on television or on the internet, it's all real, so to speak to us. Right. The fact that you can have sort of like, uh, you know, an animal farm, you know, some animals are more equal than other animals sort of deal. Like, the, you know, the film ones are the real ones and the television ones. Well, those are the B teams. Uh, no, it, it shouldn't. I wouldn't like that. Yeah. Not to mention, it's just confusing to have two Nightwings. I mean, we're already going to have all sorts of confusion when uh, with the Avengers, with the situation with the X Men. Uh, who is it? Quicksilver. Yes. Uh, I keep hearing Quicksilver is going to appear both in Avengers and that character may also appear in an, an upcoming X Men yep. movie, and they're going to have to have different actors playing yep. the role. Yeah, that's, and it's so, very frustrating and confusing. I think for people who aren't who who aren't privy to the information and aren't familiar with the character or the the, the situation between Fox and Marvel Studios. Um, yeah, don't. There's no need to confu- make things confusing. And again, this goes back to one of my earlier comments. There's so many characters waiting to be realized on film or television that. Put net, you can put Nightwing in the movie or you can put Nightwing on the show and that slot just opens up for another character. Right. 
give another character a chance to be realized, you know, on film. You don't have to have the character being betrayed twice by two different actors. Right. Have that char- one character on the movie and then bring in a completely different character on the TV show. Because Flash, or vice versa. Flash is another one of those characters that has been in the public eye for a while. He's had his own TV show. He was in the cartoon. People know who he is and where he comes from. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing Nightwing on the TV show and The Flash showing up in the film. Exactly, yeah. But he seems to be genuinely excited. The Steve McQueen guy seems, seems excited about the role and uh, one of the producers for Arrow tweeted him and was joking around a little bit with him about it. Uh, said he was a long way from Everwood, which is, I guess, the town in Vampire Diaries. But nothing's confirmed yet. Right now it's just teases and little bits. The, the only confirmed is they're, they're actually going to put Flash in Arrow, and he's going to be the first actual super-powered character in Arrow. Oh, so they're not going with the Smallville no tights? No fight sort of rule where it's all grounded in reality? No. Apparently Flash is actually going to be a legitimate Flash. He's going to be played by one of the supporting cast from Glee. Which I, mean, I, I never watched Glee, I, so... I watched uh, it pretty hardcore for the first two or three seasons, so I'm familiar with the character and the actor, but I'm not sure how I feel about him on Arrow because I hated the character. He was a bad guy. He was a jerk. And so <laughs> then that's the only thing I've seen him as. Uh-huh. So it, as he played Sebastian. This is going to depend on which Flash he's going to play, then, isn't it? Right, right. So <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about him playing Flash because I hate the other character he plays. But he's one of those characters that you're supposed to hate, so maybe he does a good job. I don't know. Hmm. Well, it'll be interesting. I mean, uh, it. I just. How I, I'll be interested in seeing how they portray that on the screen. Yeah. I mean, is it going to be like the six million dollar man where they do slow mos and like sound effects while he's running, or is it going to be like all CGI and everyone's just going to stand there and a blur is going to go by? And I definitely want to see him vibrate through a wall. Oh yeah. He has to vibrate through a wall. I haven't heard whether or not he's going to be. I think he's supposed to be Barry Allen. I think I remember reading these posts really? Barry Allen. Yeah. Well, they are sort of – Wally has been pushed a little bit to the side in the last few years with the New 52. Barry is sort of the front – Barry is the Flash in the Flash comic right. book, I believe. And uh, – okay, that, that could be interesting. I like Barry. A few years back, I remember they were talking about um, – oh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who was married – a guy who played Green, uh, Green Lantern. Uh, Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds as Wally West, and I thought that would have been very good casting. He probably would have been a better Wally West than he made a Hal Jordan. Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> he was a horrible Hal Jordan. <laughs> so that's really not saying too much, but I do agree with you. He, he, he His sort of snarkiness yeah. and his youthful – I mean, he's Van Wilder. Right. And that's definitely more Wally West than, than Hal Jordan. Yeah. See, I, w- I was rooting for Nathan Fillion for Hal Jordan, but... You root for Nathan Fillion for everything. For everything, that's true. You want Nathan Fillion to star in everything, and you want Joss Whedon to write and direct everything. That is, that is not a lie. That's <laughs> When you die, you want your obituary written by Joss Whedon. That's true. When they do the movie about me, it's going to be written by Joss Whedon and starring Nathan Fillion. <laughs> <laughs> With a beard. With a beard, yeah. He's, he's got to be able to shave his head, grow a beard. And he's so good, he could do it. He totally could. He'd totally pull it off. He'd be a better me than I am. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we've been talking about all these characters that could appear in this uh, alleged Superman sequel, which really is sounding like a backdoor Justice League film. And actually, that sounds like a 
porn parody title, so I'm going to stop I, saying that. I wasn't going to say that. I was going <laughs> to have it. <laughs> all right. So this 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 possible Justice League film, we've talked about all the people who could be appearing in it. Nightwing, he may be in it. Wonder Woman, there's been a lot of talk. Um, what about the villain? I mean, who do they want to pull out of the uh, out of the closet for this particular film? It's going to be a huge film. It has Superman. It has Batman. It's going to have this. Uh, supporting cast of some other DC characters. Uh, who's the big bad guy? Oh, they haven't said yet. Who, who would you pick to bring these particular characters together? Uh, ooh, that's, that's a very good question. And they're just going to have, they're going to have a tough time topping the last film, to be honest with you, just the level of threat, certainly the level of destruction we'll be doing. I believe we're going to be doing a man of steel podcast next week, uh, yeah. coming up next week. Next week, we're going to do a review of the, the film and we'll really get into the nuts and bolts of the film. Uh, but who, I, I guess it's weird. It's like, if you've got Batman, you've got to pull out the Joker at some point. If you got Superman, Lex has to show up at some point. So do you want but, a uh, Lex Luthor Joker team up? <laughs> it, only if it's Gene Hackman and Heath Ledger. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, I think I think Joker needs to be retired for a little bit. I was about to say, uh, I, I think it's still a little too soon. I think if you did a Joker at this point, people would be there would be riots in the street. Actually, I take that back. CGI Joker, voiced by Mark Hamill. Oh, there you go. You know who's been growing on me as the Joker? John DiMaggio, who did played him in Under the Red Hood. I have not seen that film. I love the DC animated movies, but I have not watched that. One. I've got it. You'll have to borrow it. It's amazing. Uh, I will. Jensen Ackles from Supernatural plays Jason Todd. Uh, they bring in Neil Patrick Harris to voice Nightwing. And, oh, yes. Uh, John DiMaggio does the Joker. Kevin Conroy is not the one that does Batman. I can't remember the guy's name now, but he does he does a pretty good Batman. I mean, it's not Kevin Conroy, but he does a good job. But John DiMaggio really grew on me in that. I will have to give that a watch and give him a listen. Speaking of which, another possible podcast we should consider doing is have you seen um the uh the dark knight returns animated films um i don't think so you need to watch them they are uh, immediately that's my favorite cinematic batman by far jumps past the nolan films jump jumps past the tim burton films which i loved as a kid absolutely stunning just amazing, 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 amazing. Bruce Greenwood is the gentleman who does the voice for Batman. And under the Red Bruce Man. Greenwood, Bruce yes. Uh, Admiral Pike yes. from uh, Star Trek. Yep. And, of course, I would pull out the Star Trek reference. <laughs> he, does, he does a really good job as Batman, too. And uh, it's a different feel. So I, I really enjoy so, it. There's your, film, there's your villain, Khan. You have to bring Khan in to fight Superman and Batman. Khan? <laughs> Khan. Played by Benedict Cumberbatch because contractually, I think Benedict Cumberbatch has to appear in every film. Every, every film, yeah. Every every other film, I believe. <laughs> I think it's every other film. You know, I okay, still so, uh, jumped on the Sherlock bandwagon because. Oh, so you're missing good stuff. You're missing good stuff. I do. I love Sherlock. I, I am a. Uh, I'm a. I'm a. I have. I have weak knees for British television. <laughs> I, I have Downton Abbey as my ringtone, I have to admit. I, I like geek, geek stuff and British television. And see, I think we're polar opposites on this issue because you haven't gotten into Doctor Who yet, have you? I have actually just started. I've uh, started with the Chris Eccleston uh, season. I'm about four or five episodes in, and I really enjoy it. 
I, I'm I'm shocked at how much I'm enjoying it because for me, when I think of Doctor Who, I think of the old show from the 70s that uh-huh. would be on PBS that night, dude with the big hair and the scarf. Right. Um, and uh, I just couldn't take it seriously. But uh, you really pushed me to to give who a, give who a try, give who a who. <laughs> and um, it's uh, I love Eccleston, oh, which is interesting because we will be we will be talking about Eccleston yes, coming up here. Uh, he's he's my doctor and. Uh, my wife and I have then gotten into it and, and watched it religiously, and we're all caught up and ready for the 50th anniversary episode coming in uh, November uh, 20, 23rd. Yeah, 23rd. I, yeah, I believe it's the 23rd. It's going to be on like at 2.30 in the afternoon or something here yeah. because there's not, it's the simulcast. So. And uh, they're, they're doing – BBC America is doing a big deal. They'll, they'll be showing Doctor Who stuff two days before and all that day and the day after and – it's totally going to take over TV, so. And it'll be good. But that's the only British television I watch, is what I was saying. Uh, there's some good stuff. Ripper is a Ripper Street is a great show. Um, there's a, and of course I'm drawing a blank right now, even though I, I watch about five or six of them. Mr. Selfridge, Downton Abbey. I mean, those are soap operas, but they look and sound good because anything with an English accent is immediately more classy right. than anything with an American accent. Yeah, there's some there is some great great shows out there on on, on BBC and British television. We'll, we'll we'll talk about them sometime. But we need to get back to this Batman Superman film with. Uh, do you, do you want to pull out Lex or do you want to go with one of the big guy, one of the other big guns? I've heard he's Starro. Be in it, but I don't think I want him as the villain again. I think we that's need, sort of where I am. I think we need somebody else. I think we need. I don't know. Starro, I think, would have to be the uh, Justice League movie, wouldn't it? I mean, that was their first adventure together. That was their first adventure, yeah. So I think in order to keep keep on par with the Avengers, whose first adventure was with Loki, I think they'd have to pull out Starro at least a little bit for the Avengers movie. So I don't know who I'd get for Superman, Batman, unless you're just going to have them fighting each other the whole movie. Which is my nightmare scenario, to be honest with you. I, I my least favorite moment of the Avengers film was the uh, scene with uh, Iron Man, Thor, and Captain America fighting out in the forest. Aside from the fact that Saint Joss did sort of shoot that scene far too dark for a three D film, where you could barely see anything that was going on in that fight scene. That's true. I just was sitting there like, oh gosh, really? Uh, okay, I know what's going to happen. They're going to fight. Nobody's going to win because they're all equally powerful, and then they're going to have to work together to save the day. I've I've read this plot in thousands of comic books. I've seen it already too often on the limited amounts of times that comic book characters have appeared on film or television. This is a dead horse that needs to no longer be beaten, but actually buried. Let's not do this anymore. And there, I think there's some people that will disagree with you. That it's, a, it's tradition. It's something that for the first real team-up movie that, that we've seen, you've got to have that scene in there. Okay, I, I I will bow to the will of the majority. You know, if, if that's what they want, that's fine. For me, I will just concentrate on my popcorn during that particular scene. <laughs> I'm just hoping it doesn't turn into an ext- an extended. I can deal with the sequence in the Avengers. I think it gave the fans, as you said, what a lot of them wanted to see. That sort of uh, traditional moment where, yeah, this is the way it is in comic books, but. It was compact, and the film was able to move forward with its plot. Right. I just don't want an entire movie of 
Batman planting kryptonite grenades for <laughs> Superman to stumble over, right. you know, while Superman's busily knocking over buildings. So, I just don't, yeah, because a movie where they fought the whole time, even if they, they ended it with a bigger threat and they have to come together and, and, you know, say the movie ends with them at a stalemate as, you know, Starro comes down from the sky or something and then all the all the justice I just, in the next movie. I just want to see Starro on film. <laughs> but the rest of the movie... Starro and Galactus. Galactus. Those have got to be the two most interesting... Those are the two I want to see on film. And I don't know, was Galactus in that that, that horrible... Uh... Sort of, kind of. He There was a Galactus-shaped cloud. <laughs> it was this fiery cloud thing with a mouth, sort of, that vaguely resembled the shape of Galactus's helmet. Okay. All right. Okay. Not, sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack. <laughs> Another reason not to watch the uh, right. Fantastic Right. That and Jessica Alba's performance. Yes. That and, and I'd spend the whole time going, that's not the Human Torch, that's Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it would confuse my children a great deal to have to watch Fantastic Four movies. Uh, because Chris Evans is Captain America now. So he is. Can't go back. I, so I really don't know who I'd get as a villain for the Superman Batman. Well, one thing that we do sort of maybe kind of just a little bit know is apparently the costume for the Batfleck has been seen. Which is going to be an important piece to this movie. Yes, it is. Because not only does it have to work, but it has to be different than the other ones. Which is what it appears to be on uh, the Hollywood Babylon podcast, which I listen to religiously. Uh, Kevin Smith related a story of when he was uh, hosting the Man of Steel event for Yahoo Video or for the Yahoo Entertainment website on, I believe it was Saturday morning. Uh, nothing really was said on air. It was just sort of a go buy the go buy the Blu-ray. It's coming out. But Zack Snyder apparently afterwards showed Kevin Smith a photograph of Ben Affleck wearing the costume, assume allegedly taken during a costume uh, test. And uh, he, uh, Smith, uh, obviously does not want to be uh, sued by Warner Brothers, uh, did not say too much. He said that – he did say that it was unlike any costume that has – any Batman costume that's appeared on film uh, and that comic book fans would be very happy with the costume, which sort of if I put two and two together and don't end up with five, it makes me think that we're going to have a costume that is much more similar to the non-armor appearance of the comic book costume. I think that's a dangerous way to go for me because I've, I've seen – I mean it, would, it can't be skin tight. You have to have some sort of – I don't know. I think they go with armor because it works better visually. When you mm -hmm. look at the fan-made films where they actually use spandex on film, it looks terrible. And so the skin-tight gray, I, I just don't know if they, that would work well on, on screen. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you get nightmares of the Adam West Batman, right. which was a good show for what it was, but the, that costume just would not be taken seriously. You can't have a guy running around in basically long johns uh, and fighting crime. Um, but at the same time, 
for whatever reason, by the time that third Dark Knight, by the time that third Chris Nolan Batman film had rolled around, that uniform, uh, it doesn't look good. And there were just way too many scenes shot during the day that sort of revealed how bad that costume really looked right. by the time the by the time that third film, because it just kept adding stuff to it. You know, it just it looked cumbersome. It looked. Uh, it just did not look like you can move around quickly and, you know, Batman, yeah, he kicks butt, but he also disappears in a flash into the shadows. And that costume does not lend itself to that sort of swift disappearing into the darkness. Right. Uh, So I would like to see them pull back a little bit. I mean, I, maybe something more like, well, it's not going to be like this because Smith said it isn't going to be like anything on film. But uh, the early uh, Batman costumes from the early Burton films, they had a little bit of armor look to them, but they didn't look like the guy was w- walking out of a SWAT team meeting. Right. You got to have a happy medium because you have to to look at that costume and think it could take uh, a knife, you know. That it, no, I, 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 well, actually, it can't take a knife, as we discovered in the third Dark Knight film. It can't take a knife. <laughs> It could take a shot from a bazooka, apparently. Right. Uh, but uh, a chick with a knife, and you're dead. Right. Well, but uh, we anyways, we did. Should have oh. been able to take a knife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, we, I did do a little bit of investigative work um, because I am a huge Kevin Smith fan, and I spend a lot of time on the Swancast boards. And uh, if you listen to the podcast, he does uh, mention an influence that it looked like the costume had a, it was influenced by a certain artist, but when he said the name, the name was redacted. It was bleeped out. Yes. But uh, somebody who did it, who, it was a live show, uh, I believe it was somewhere in Southern California, not Los Angeles, where he normally is. Uh, so they were on the road. They had an audience, and one of the members of the audience was sort of tracked down on the board, somebody who posts regularly on the board and was at the show. They knew beforehand was at the show. And they begged, borrowed, stealed, whatever they had to do to get this poor guy to say, you were at the show. What did he say? What was the artist? And he finally did fess up and said that Kevin Smith said the costume looked like it was inspired by the artwork of Jim Lee. So, and I like Jim Lee. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite artists. And so I'm trying to think. Uh, Jim Lee's uh, Batman is tends to be sort of grayish mm-hmm. costume. In fact, I'm pretty sure Jim Lee redesigned all of the costumes recently. Yeah. For the new 52. He's responsible for the absolutely horrible Superman collar, which makes him look like a bellboy or a butler or something. But uh, that'll be very interesting. Uh, it's it's nice that the costume, apparently, at least whoever designed the costume is trying to make it look like it looks in the comic book. That's a nice change of pace, it considering, is. you know, hello, X-Men. Right. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, when Joss Whedon did his run on X-Men, he had them go back to more classic, colorful costumes and made the joke that the black leather is starting to scare people a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah. Uh, Something else I've heard that kind of ties into this. um, Mm -hmm. Del Toro, the director, who is involved with uh, the Justice League Dark Project. Guillermo. Yes. From Pacific Rim. Was caught in just a very short interview while he was on the carpet for another movie. And they asked him about where Justice League Dark is, where he is with that. And he said he's still writing. He's still really enjoying it. It's moving. It's just not moving quickly. 
mm-hmm. but that it is going to go somewhere. They do want to do it. And he said that DC plans to have the whole universe, every mythology. They want as many characters as they can get in there. They're going to tie it all together. He said TV, movie, all the media, he said. Oh, nice. And that Justice League Dark has to fit into that. So it makes me wonder what they're going to do with Arrow if it's not going to fit into – if they're just going to leave that separate, I guess, and then have other TV shows that do tie in with the rest of this universe. This is like every fanboy's dream right here. Yeah. Get all the films, television, make it all real. Yeah. Well, I mean it's fiction, but all real in the sense that they appear together. I mean – I think a lot of us remember when I was a kid that um, I think it was a TV guide cover with Batman and the Flash from when the Flash uh, debuted. They sort of I, I don't think they really got Michael Keaton to appear in it, but I think they photoshopped uh, a photo of Michael Keaton with uh, what was his name? The guy who played the Flash. Oh, I knew um, before you asked me. Uh, three I, names. I met him once. Um, really? Yeah. Oh, uh, the name totally escapes me. Yeah. The guy who played the Flash. We'll just say that. Uh, so all of us love to have this idea that maybe they'll all appear together. Maybe we can have crossovers. We can have guest appearances. Or at the very least, there'll be references back and forth. Somebody will say something about, hey, you know, that happened. Uh, I know that guy. He showed up over and so-and-so, and he references something from an, one of the other TV series or one of the other films. I mean, that's why we all love the Avengers. Right. You know, that's why we love that movie. So while I'm not a – you know, I, I'm not – you are a huge Justice League Dark fan. Oh, yeah. I am nowhere near the Justice League Dark fan you are. I think I'm I would loving... be more excited for the Justice League Dark than I would be for Justice League. And I'll just let you say that. But uh, the uh, the fact that there seems to be – that Del Toro is saying that there seems to be desire on DC slash Warner Brothers part to have all of this tied in, It's um, that's exciting. Yeah. Especially if they follow through on it. I definitely want to want to see all this together. Definitely, at least, even if the only other movie we get is Justice League Dark, I think. But, you know, there's a lot of different characters that aren't tied to groups that would make really good movies solo. I think uh, Adam Strange would make a really great movie. Well, what we're looking at with, like, the new media, I mean, this deal that uh, Marvel has struck with Netflix is just opening up so many doors. A character like Adam Strange can't really hold a movie and may not even be able to hold a television series, but he can hold an internet miniseries. That's true. So if there is this plan on DC's part to sort of have a shared universe in which they all tie together, that crosses the platforms of film, television, internet, whatever else is next, the holo- 3D holograms beam directly into your brain, whatever's <laughs> around the corner. It just – and again, this is the third or fourth time I've said it so far uh, tonight. Just the opportunity to get as many of these characters out in front of the public as possible. They don't all have to star in a $200 million movie. Right. Uh, some of them shouldn't star in a $200 million movie. But they would be great to appear in, a, in, a, in an arc on, a TV, on another character's TV show. Right. They could appear on a uh, internet-based uh, miniseries. I this you know this this is these are good times and I'm hoping that DC, which for what the last 15 years has been the laughing stock mm-hmm. of uh, of the industry when it comes to comic book films or comic book uh, entertainment medium, there was a period where Smallville was the only flag they were they were waving. Yep. The fact that not only are they, you know, they're pushing forward on film as Superman, they're keeping Batman going, 
they've got Arrow on television, but the fact that there's like, no, there's, there's a large plan here mm-hmm. to make this a large universe in which all of these characters can appear and they can cross over. That's exciting to me. It is uh, very exciting. It's definitely something to look forward to. I think that was it for the DC side. I think it's time we move on to the, the piece de resistance. Uh, Thor, the dark world. Which really wasn't that dark of a world now that I think of it. No, the trailers made it look very dark and very brooding, and then there was actually a lot of humor in it. It was very funny. Oh, it was, hilar- it was hilarious. I think, uh, I think both of us really did enjoy this film. Oh, yeah. It's, it's probably one of my favorite Marvel Universe films. I, right up there with Avengers, I think. Uh, I thought, uh, while I loved wow. Kenneth Branagh, I loved his, the first Thor. I think this one is even better. Uh, I, I'll, I will agree with the fact that it is better than the first Thor. I think that all the, the and a lot of it comes down to the actors. They just own these characters, yeah. and the characters are what make makes this film. Right. I can't say it's as good as the Avengers, and the primary reason is well, I love Chris Eccleston as we've already mentioned. Uh-huh. I just felt this film had a really weak character for a villain. And I also felt the threat at the end, while obviously serious, was just a tad confusing to me. I can see that. Uh, Sort of this intergalactic goo is going to coincide with the realms coming together in an alignment. And it just did not have that sort of, well, Loki's going to destroy the universe sort of deal, where it's like a clear-cut thing you can completely understand. Uh, Malekith, just not a lot of screen presence, not a lot of gravitas, kind of whiny, just nowhere near the villain that Loki was in the first film, and certainly that Loki was in the Avengers. Just a kind of a non-entity for a villain. I sort of forgot about him five minutes after the movie ended. And that's the thing that sort of held me back from saying this was just an awesome, awesome film. It's a very good film. I loved it. I just think that the villain was a little on the uh, underdeveloped side. This is something I've been going over a lot in the last couple of days, and I think think the Thor movies have to be seen differently than your average superhero movie. The villains, it's, it's not about the superhero against the villain, because I'm seeing a lot of similarities between Malekith in this movie and Lofi in the first movie, and where... There seems to be a lot of potential and a lot of backstory to these characters, and both of them reference things that had happened before. I had a lot of emotion in certain scenes, and when Malekith gives the character who will become Curse the stone that changes him, mm-hmm. he cries. There's tears on his cheeks, mm-hmm. and so he's obviously very upset. This is a big deal to him to have to do this to this person again, to one mm-hmm. of his people. And, and so I feel like there's a lot to these characters that we're just not getting to see. And I felt the same way with Lafayette. I'm wondering how much of that is simply a situation where you do have Chris Eccleston, who's a great actor, uh, playing Malekith, and he's giving you more than is on the page. That could be. I, I felt the same way with Colin Fiore, who played uh, Lafayette. There were his performance, I thought, was one of the best performances of that movie mm-hmm. I, mean, I just really connected with with his scenes and that character and 
but when he barely got anything. Exactly. You know, this was a, a troubled script from the beginning, from everything that we have heard that's sort of come through the grapevine. I just wish that maybe they could have developed the uh, the bad guys just a little bit more. Uh, I, and I fear that, not fear, but I believe that what we did get is more credit to the actors portraying the roles than the roles that they were given to portray. That could be true. And there there could be scenes we're missing, too, that they were oh, yeah. for time. and. It was kind of a short film, I will say that. It's I know that rather quickly. when uh, the showing that I went to was a 6.30 showing on Friday night, and uh, I'm not sure about where you live or where those those people out there listening live, but here there's a good solid 20 minutes previews yeah. before we actually get to the movie. And so the movie probably started around 6.50. Uh, when I first checked the clock, We I was waiting around for the mid-credit scene and then the end-credit scene. Uh, so the movie was done. Uh, it was barely an hour and a half. Yeah. So with the credits, we're talking maybe about an hour, hour and 40 minutes or so, somewhere in that area. That's that's not that's short nowadays right. for a movie. So I am wondering what's what was left on the editing room floor. And a, a lot of people talk about how Loki overshadows the other villains, but especially in this one, Loki wasn't the villain. Oh no, and, no. I, in fact, the thing that I loved about this film was the journey that that character took. Yeah. I mean, he starts out. Well, I don't want to say he starts out as a villain, but he starts out as the arrogant SOB, so to speak, when he's being brought in in chains, mm -hmm. but he really doesn't do anything villainous until the very end right. of the film, of course. And even though um, I'm and not sure he's... how villainous that is. I mean, he's, yeah. he's Loki, and he has to be true to that, and so you don't know exactly how bad that is. Yeah, and I should say, we're going we're gonna to drop some spoilers here. Oh, yeah, so if you haven't seen the film, you know, if you haven't seen the film, you, you probably shouldn't uh, be listening to this portion. Um, but uh, one of the best films, well, of course, it's Loki. Add Loki, film improves. It doesn't matter what film it is. Put Loki in it, it's going to be better. Tom Hiddleston is amazing. He is. Um, and I just loved Loki in this movie. Loved him. Loved his interactions with um, with Thor. We finally got to see them as, a brother, as, as brothers. Yeah, it was a, a great... Hemsworth and Hiddleston just play off each other so well. They do. It was, it was great to watch them together and, and the whole journey through the whole movie. And, you know, there's a time or two you think Loki is going to become the villain you expect him to be. And, but it's really all a part of Thor's plan. And there's some wonderful moments of misdirection. Yes. And the film where they're actually playing to the audience's expectation of Loki and then pulling that right out from under us. Yeah. I actually felt there was more use of magic in this film than there was in the first one. I think they played on that a little more. Yes, they did. The, the film had a lot more of everything, actually, than the first film. First film did. But yeah, definitely uh, Loki is shown to be much more powerful in this. In, in the first film, he seemed to be much more of like a brains guy. Yeah. You know, he's sort of the guy who comes up with the plan and, and sort of starts the ball rolling. In this film, you're actually seeing, like in Avengers, you're seeing more of his abilities. And, I, uh, and you actually see where it came from. Right. I was, that's where exactly it? what I was about to say, was that uh, one of the characters that kind of stole the movie for me was uh, Frigga, who mm -hmm. also uses magic and misdirection and fights with the same style that Loki does later in the movie. 
which was a wonderful, just unexpected scene when you see her uh, throw down. With Malekith, no less. With Malekith. And I just loved it because I remember in the first film, I I was thinking, what, what, why do you cast Rene Russo and then not do anything right. with her? I think she had like two scenes in that entire movie. And in this film, again, she doesn't have a tremendous amount of screen time, but her presence, her importance to the film yeah. uh, is definitely elevated compared to the, the first film. And, when, and she just owns it. Oh, she really does. And when they had to do the, the funeral for her, I, I, thought, oh, yeah. I thought my oldest son was going to cry. Oh, it was just so good. And, so good. So well done. Uh, it's sort of this nice little um, sci-fi version of the Vikings. Yes, exactly. You know, it, is, it was beautifully done in the sense that uh, they, they combined the, uh, the mythologies and uh, gave Anthony Hopkins probably his only good acting moment. <laughs> oh, uh, Anthony Hopkins, what happened to him? He's just chewing the scenery beyond uh, the acceptable level of chewing the scenery in a comic book film. <laughs> Uh, though at the end he's good during the uh, the scene with uh, you know the, the last scene where it's sort of pseudo Loki, um, very good very good scene. But otherwise he and and uh, Natalie Portman, oh gosh, what what she? And somebody please take Natalie Portman out of these movies. Yeah, uh, somebody said maybe that she's just she's got something against genre movies after having to do Star Wars and signing that contract so young. That's true. Uh, I've generally forgotten and ignored those movies, so I had forgotten that she was in uh, – that she was pa- – Padme. Yeah, she was Padme. Yeah. Padme and Jane. Can, can, can she stop ruining my sci-fi films? Thank you very much. Yeah. The bad thing is Star Wars wasn't her fault. I don't think she did bad in Star Wars, but oh, this, no. she's carrying over the stink from <laughs> – I'd rather see. I, I, there's times I'd rather see Jar Jar show up on screen than than Jane at this point. Just such an unlikable every I, character. Every time I watch that movie, I'm going to see that in my head now. <laughs> Misa, love you, Thor. <laughs> uh, you know, Thor being in love with Jar Jar would make about as much sense as Thor being in love with Jane at this point. I just especially he's so madly in love with her, and I just don't get why. It, it doesn't help that you have Natalie Portman, who you know she, I I remember I remember Natalie Portman back in the professional all those years ago, and I thought okay she can act, and she's been great in films. I mean she's won an Academy Award, but suddenly in this film she's Kristen Stewart. Right. I mean she's just flat. The, there's just nothing there. Kristen Stewart actually was better in Twilight than she is than Natalie uh, Portman is in, in these films. She's just standing there and saying lines. Yeah. And there's you you can replace her with a Natalie Portman cardboard cutout. Yeah. And I don't think anyone really noticed the difference. And it doesn't help that in the same scene you have Jamie Alexander as Sif. Right. They don't ever actually come out and say this love triangle exists, but there's such nuance between the characters, and Jamie Alexander does such a great job with it. Just the looks that she gives mm-hmm. Jane as she walks by is just great. And you almost you almost wonder if there were some scenes shot that weren't put in the film. It's got to be. We've got to have like a whole other film worth of scenes, you know. <laughs> but I, I'm I'm definitely Team Sif. Oh yeah. 
I, I'm I'm Team Sif for this. I'm Team Sif for Wonder Woman. I'm Team Sif for a actual Thor three or Thor spinoff of just being Thor, Lady Sif, and the Warriors three, just going out around the universe kicking butt. That would because be awesome. they're great. That's just a, a wonderful collection of characters and a great group of actors to bring this. characters to life. Which makes Natalie Portman's non-performance non-performance so much worse, you know. And There's so much enthusiasm from all of the other actors. All of them. Stellan Skarsgård. Who <laughs> is wonderful, I thought. He's got a great pair of legs, I'll tell you. <laughs> he does. He does. I, I mean, he's, uh, you know, he, he's like, I know everybody thinks his son in True Blood is the hot one, but he's like, hey, this is where it came That's from. That's right. He show, shows where Eric got it. That's right. <laughs> uh, funny little side note. His son is in True Blood, and his other son is was in... Uh, the history show Vikings. Oh, really? Yeah, he played a character named Floki. I, I, when I heard that, I was like, these guys don't look anything alike. But I saw a picture of all three of them together, and they're definitely related. So, the Skarsgård family is taking over. Yeah. So, but but his uh, performance was great. I really enjoyed it. I totally get no pants helping you think. I'm doing the podcast with <laughs> no pants right now. I was. Oh well. <laughs> I would normally be sitting here in my underwear, but it's a little cold tonight That's with this cold front moving in. So I do have uh, I do have some PJ pants on. I've, uh, actually, they've got polar bears on them. Uh, my actually my Superman PJs are the material is a little bit too thin oh. on those. Otherwise, I would be wearing my Superman PJs. Um, but uh, yeah, it, just much needed much needed comedy because this film was very funny. And he was game for certainly going. But actually, I I do have a little bit of inside information on that. I remember reading an interview with um, Alexander Skarsgård. And uh, they were asking him about doing the scenes on True Blood and if he was uncomfortable with all the sexuality. And he mentioned that he's not uncomfortable with nudity because growing up, his father always walked around naked in the house. Wow. So apparently the difficulty was actually getting him into the underwear is what I'm assuming. <laughs> The set. So apparently, he's a bit of a nudist in his uh, his personal life. So, so I'm wondering how much of that was just improv. Then it's like it's like in Thor one and the Avengers, they just could not get him to keep his pants on. So they were like, "We'll just write it into the next. We'll just, film. Into we'll just write it into the next film." Uh, speaking of uh, laugh out loud moments, I think we all have to talk. I think we're going to have to talk about a certain cameo. We have to. One of the most important parts of the film. Yeah. Uh, this was, uh, uh, again, playing into the wonderful relationship that's developed. And it is a great relationship between Thor and Loki. Uh, as you mentioned, the actors have tremendous chemistry and it's just, it's a, it's a wonderful relationship. Thor and Loki, it's, it's a great relationship and it's a wonderful little scene where Thor is escorting Loki out. He needs Loki's help, uh, in order to, uh, well, to move the plot along basically. And he has Loki sort of in chains and he's, uh, escorting him. And Loki decides to try to push some of Thor's buttons, as he does, and he starts creating some illusions. And what was the first illusion that he created? He was he was a guard first. They did this with like the little cut scenes where like they walk behind a pillar, and when they walk out from behind the pillar, it's a uh, you know Loki is sort of cha- transformed. And uh, then the second one was uh, him transforming Thor. Yes, Thor into Sif. Into Sif. And uh, then do you want to describe the third transformation? And then the next one, because he, he changes uh, Thor to Sif and comments on his form, and Thor tells him that hitting him won't hurt any less in this form. 
So Loki suggests maybe he'd be more comfortable with one of his new friends, and they pass the pillar, and Loki is then Chris Evans as Captain America. And Chris Evans crushes that scene it was as such Loki. such a great scene. I laughed out loud. Because it's not Cap. He's playing Loki. Right. So it's not like, oh, I'm Cap. It's, it, it's, it's, it's almost meta. You may need to sit down and think about this. It's Loki playing Cap playing Loki playing Cap, I believe, <laughs> if you want to do a flow chart of that particular scene. That's right. I was watching an interview with Kevin Feige, the producer, and uh, the director, Alan Saylor, and they were saying that Chris Evans was actually next door in the studio next door filming uh, The Winter Soldier. And so he just popped over real quick to do the scene. And they had uh, Tom put on the Captain America suit and do the scene. And then so Chris Evans could watch the way he did it. And then they switched back and Chris got in the cap suit and and did the, the scene. So somewhere there is footage of Tom Hiddleston in the Captain America costume. Which is amazing on its own. It should be on the Blu-ray, I believe. And uh, it should be its own Blu-ray. It should be its own Blu-ray. Just, they could just sell a Blu-ray of the five-minute walkthrough that they filmed with a handy cam of him playing Captain America, and it would sell a million copies. I will buy the Blu-ray just for that scene. That's uh, it's going to be brilliant. Uh, speaking of brilliant, and Tom Hiddleston, uh, he's going to be doing a Shakespeare play, and they're going to be broadcasting it to cinemas across the country. Really? Uh, January 30th in Tulsa. There'll be a live performance. I may have to get down to Tulsa on the 30th. We're hoping to make it. It sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. So, so do we uh, – you uh, – one of the many, many things that you've been doing online with the, uh, the Geeking Podcast uh, and blog Facebook page – uh, you've also been sort of the uh, the man on the spot when it comes to um, – or Johnny on the spot when it comes – or Snowy on the spot or Lysmith on the spot when it comes to um, Guardians of the Galaxy. And that's going to come in very important because the mid-credit scene uh, was, well, just a little bit tied into Guardians of the Galaxy. Just There was just a slight tie into Guardians of the Galaxy. Just a little bit. Yeah, actually I contribute to GuardTheGalaxy.com. And I'm having a lot of fun with it. The guys over there are really cool. So through that, I know a little bit about the scene the, with the, the Collector, played by uh, Benicio Del Toro. And that scene was actually directed by James Gunn. It was filmed very late, uh, last-minute kind of a deal. Jamie Alexander, and his name just popped out of my head. The gentleman who plays Volstagg. Uh, I can I call him the one on the screen who's not Jamie Alexander. <laughs> That's a good name for him. I'm not sure he feels yeah. the same. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, they both went over to London and actually filmed on the set there on Guardians of Gal- the Galaxy for that cutscene. And so that was that's actually that cutscene instead of being part of Thor is technically Guardians of the Galaxy. And so it gives us a nice little taste of the flavor of that film because that. Uh, Cutscene, I think more than any other cutscene, or cutscene, I should say mid-credit scene, more than any of these other uh, bonus scenes, uh, has a completely different flavor from the rest of the film. Yeah. And it gives you a real it's, – it's made me intrigued by what the Guardians of the Galaxy is going to be like because just the tone of that – and that's what, 45 seconds to a minute yeah. long? And it just feels completely different from any other Marvel film that we've seen. And with James Gunn and the cast they've got, it's going to be different. It's going to have a different feel to it. 
he's a different kind of actor. And so it'll be interesting to see how they tie that in with the rest of the Marvel Universe. Obviously, there's connections, but to it'll be as interesting as watching them tie Iron Man and Thor into the same movie. Mm. Trying to tie Guardians of the Galaxy in with the Avengers and the rest of the Marvel U, because it's going to be so much different. What did you think of uh, Del Toro's performance as the Collector? I loved well, it. Well, what little bit you, they showed. The, in the comic books, the Collector takes himself very seriously. He's very, obviously, got a lot of self-importance and almost a regal kind of attitude to him. In this, they kind of took it in a little bit of different directions. There's, um, he's, he's a little more humble, I think, but there's still a lot of etiquette to him. That, that crazy bow he did, and uh, mm-hmm. but his look and the attitude and the I'm not sure what I was expecting from that actor or the, this version of the character, but that wasn't it and it, it just totally blew me away and I, I really loved it and if everybody else in Guardians of the Galaxy does as well as he did in that mid credit scene, the movie's going to be just fabulous It definitely shows that Gunn has a very unique unique viewpoint for the Guardians of the Galaxy, what he wants it to be, and if he was able to sell it so completely in a minute and a half long mid credit scene, uh, it definitely bodes well for a film, that he was able to make it that unique and get that flavor across in 90 seconds. It shows that this movie is going to be something, something to watch. Oh yeah, and he's watching the actors communicate through Twitter and, and interviews and stuff, that group is as tight-knit as at least, maybe more so, than the actors for Avengers were. Mm. They talk to each other all the time. They, they are hanging out together. It really, they really had such a good time that they all of those those core actors really bonded, which, which I think speaks a lot for the potential of the film, for them to get that close while filming and have that good of an experience. It's definitely going to be the most, um, not anticipated, but the most, the most curiosity I think of any of the Marvel films is going to be directed toward this movie because it's such a different film than any of the other superhero films, whether from Marvel or DC that we've seen. And, uh, that mid credit scene gave us a very tantalizing taste and I know from my you're all, you've you've been in already. I mean you're you're practically stalking these people at this point. Uh, I believe you guys actually received a cease and desist order. You're telling me from yeah, Warner Brothers because, because you guys have been following it a little too closely. Well, when they when the trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy that they released at San Diego Comic Con was leaked online, we did have mm-hmm. some screen caps. We didn't actually put up the trailer, but there were screen caps from the the trailer we put up, and they asked us to take those down. But uh, that's not to say that we've only gotten negative things from from Marvel. Dave Bautista, who plays Mm -hmm. Drax in the movie, uh, retweeted our website. We've gotten some feedback from some of the people, the production crew for the movie. It's it's mostly good things, but we did get that one official, please take those down before we sue you. (laughs) (laughs) So it you're much more in tune with it than I am. I've never really read – in fact, I've never read Guardians of the Galaxy. So I don't know too much about it, but I will say that that 90 seconds definitely intrigued me enough to where suddenly that film on my radar went from being, okay, well, I'll go see it. It's a Marvel movie all the way to, 
hey, this looks like this could be really good. I want to see this movie when it comes out. And to do that in a 90-second uh, clip in the middle of uh, another movie's ending credits, that was, a, that was a nice little win for James Gunn. That was a nice win for Benicio Del Toro. And so I think it could be a big win for Marvel if they're able to sell the movie, for lack of a, you know, well, for more of a blunt way to put it, you know, they, they've got to sell this film. And so far, from everything they've released and what they're doing, it's looking interesting. There's lots of buzz around it. It's very, I mean, the people who are really into this are really excited about it. The actors themselves are very excited about it, and so they'll be pushing it pretty hard. So I think I think this could be a, uh, it has the potential to be a Cosmic Avengers which would be amazing. Yeah. Because Marvel does cosmic so well, much better than DC. They really do. And, and I think it could open the door up for for a multitude of other characters to get their own movies. They, they've already got the Nova Corps being the main police force in this movie. The uh, Green Lantern of Marvel, so right. to speak. And while they're, they're more like beat cops in this movie, it opens potential to have the character Nova have his own movie and storyline which is very cosmic centered and it opens the door for characters like beta ray bill and if they ever get the rights for silver surfer back you know i mean i seem to remember reading that they that they did get the rights for silver surfer back i believe last i heard they were talking about it there was a small discussion and it was kind of a um fox said if you give us an extension on this then we will give you these characters back and marvel said no yeah, okay, you're right, because I think it was an extension on Daredevil. Yeah. And then that obviously fell through, considering the earlier news story we had about the Daredevil TV series from Marvel and Netflix. So, yeah, that's what it was. They were going to give them uh, Silver Surfer in exchange for, like, an extra three months or six months on their extent, on their contract over Daredevil. So, yeah, okay, forget that. Just, just miss old news. <laughs> so, uh, let's see, we've... Uh, or do we want to do a rating system? Thumbs up, thumbs down, you know, or do we just want to, how do we want to, how do we want to close the book? I um, don't know. Um, that's a good question. Um, I will say that I, I definitely enjoyed the film. I enjoyed it better than the first film. Uh, was it's not the second a, time in the theaters. I would see it a second time in the theaters, probably in the second run theaters. Okay. The uh, the $2 theaters. They used to be dollar theaters when I was a kid. Now they're $2 theaters. If for no other reason than that there's just so many movies about to come out mm-hmm. that my budget probably will not allow me to see the film again. I paid I paid $10 for a non – for a 2D version to see the movie. And, uh, you know, that's a little high. So it was definitely worth the $10. But I think, and I do want to see it again on the big screen before it comes to DVD and Blu-ray. But I think I'll, I think I'll wait for the two-dollar theater. For the two-dollar theater, it was a good film. I enjoyed it. It has a few flaws. Oh, we didn't even talk about uh, what's her name, the annoying, the other Darcy. annoying girl, who, who was Darcy. just over the overused, I think. A little bit of Darcy goes a long way, as they found out in the first film, and they just pushed her way too much in this film. But the scenes with her and the intern were amusing. That oh well, yeah, definitely. But her, she, just, she was just a little bit too grating, a little bit too. Aren't I cute? Yeah. And uh, and you're, you're cute, but when you start talking, basically acknowledging that you're cute, 
Yeah. It's not cute. The one scene that was not Darcy the intern that I enjoyed was the one with her and Thor stayed in there. She says, so how's space? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was, it was kind hu- of awkward, but it worked. Yeah, the humor is definitely the sound. The humor and the uh, the, the wonderful chemistry uh, between um, Hemsworth and Hiddleston yes. uh, make this film. I guess I would give it three hammers out of four. Three out of four. Or should I say three out of Thor? Oh. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm going to give it a solid four out of four. It, oh, I, yeah. Well, yeah, you did like it a little more than I, so yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I, I kind of have to look at this movie a little differently. It can't follow the same formula other movies do because the villain isn't the center focus of the movie. He's not the only driving force of the movie. You've got mm-hmm. – he, he's not the only antagonist, even if he's the only villain. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So I, I have to look at the movie differently because Malekith I, – I love Christopher Eccleston. I really As enjoy do his I. character. Um, I did a uh, – I'll have to post it again to the blog, but I did a big bio for Malekith. And so I, I really enjoy the character. And so I feel like there's so much more to him we just didn't get to see. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I solidly loved the movie. I am I am definitely looking forward to the Blu-ray. I want to see these. There's got to be cut scenes there. Yeah. There, the, the film just feels like there were some holes in there. And I know the script was an issue the entire time they made it. But I can't help but think that there was stuff that was left out because of running time or wanting to put more action scenes in or more time for special effects. I'm not sure. But I think the uh, – I have a feeling that the, uh, the the deleted scenes are going to be a bit of a revelation and make the film a more understandable experience. I think so. And I think uh, having Alan Taylor come in and be the director was really what the Thor franchise needed. Oh, yeah. Because he really played up on the fantasy part and, and it was – was a little more down to earth, pun intended, mm-hmm. uh, than the first one was, and I think that's what it needed to work. So, yeah, Brana brought a wonderfully Shakespearean quality to Asgard, but I felt that away from Asgard, the film sort of wobbled a little bit. Didn't quite had the uh, the um, like it wasn't quite as locked in. Yeah. Uh, on the Earth scenes, and I think Taylor balanced it a bit better than Brana did. Brana brought a tremendous amount of majesty to Asgard. In fact, I will say I think I think I prefer Brana's take on Asgard. I thought Asgard felt more um, majestic and otherworldly in a lot of ways than it did on this film. But that just could be Brana's Shakespearean background more than anything else. Overall, I think Taylor definitely the film felt more balanced. Yeah. And uh, its through line was a lot more straightforward and understandable, and it didn't it didn't have those weak moments that well weak whole sections that the first film had, where Brana it just felt like Brana was a little in a, in a little over his head. Well, I think Brana's Asgard was needed to introduce Thor. Mm-hmm. I think that that was needed there, so, and I think they had trouble balancing his Asgard with. Earth, because Earth was supposed to be more of the tie into Iron Man's world, mm. and those are just so so totally different. I think maybe if we saw Taylor's version 
of Asgard in the first movie, there wouldn't be that clear-cut difference between the two. It would have flowed a little better. That's true. I can see that. That's definitely true. So what do you think about Thor 3? Um, There's not a whole lot of information about Thor 3. I know that Alan Taylor has definitely said he has ideas for Thor 3. He has ideas for where he wants to go with Loki, and that he, that's definitely a story he wants to tell in Thor 3. But there's no plans for – I mean, they, they want to do with Thor 3, but there's no solid plans for it yet, and there's no solid plans to have Loki in anything as of right now. I'm wondering how much of this is a result of an almost overcrowded slate coming up in the sense that, you know, you had the Iron Man films, which then spun off basically the Marvel Universe, and they did Thor and Captain America and then Avengers, and now they're in Phase 2 where they had Iron Man 3, which always felt to me more of a postscript to Phase 1 than actually launching Phase 2. Then you have Thor, you've got Captain America, Winter Soldier, you have Guardians of the Galaxy, then Avengers 2. Obviously, a third Thor film would come after Avengers 2, but it just seems like there's more stuff that they want to do. There's more characters they want to give films to. Right. And so you're just wondering where they're going to be able to fit it in. Yeah, because they're talking about an Ant-Man movie. They're talking about a, a Doctor Strange movie. Yeah. Um, there's rumors of a Black Panther movie, all kinds of stuff between now and, and that they're talking about as in doing sooner than a Thor 3. Yeah, I mean, and it's not that you can't make all these comic book films, but you're talking about 100 to $150 million each, and there's only so many tent poles, right. so to speak, that they have temple openings that they have to space out between the Avengers films. Um, and with Hiddleston sort of taking a break for a moment uh, from Loki and Marvel seemingly wanting to take the break as well, it seems like uh, even though the ending definitely teased a Thor 3, it doesn't feel like it's immediately needed. Even the last of the the bonus scenes almost seemed like a – not an ending as in goodbye, but an ending as in, well, now we've closed this story and you don't have to wait for the next one. Right. It's not Thor staring off in the darkness wondering if he was ever going to go see Jane Foster again. You know, at the end of the last cut scene, they're together and they're, you know, making out. Right. And so it's almost as if this this story is concluded, but with the Thor with the Loki twist yeah. at the end, there's like this story is com- completed, but there's another story out there. Yeah. Well, I think that waiting until after some of these other movies they want to get out comes out before they do another Thor movie, I think is okay because I think a lot of people are a little overloaded on Loki being. Uh, mm-hmm. the center focus or the villain or antagonist or however we want to see him. I think there he's being used a little too much and he can, he can be a great character and be loved the way he is forever, but not every year. I agree with that, but you know, risking, you know, uh, maybe taking this conversation, you know, spinning off in a different direction. So feel free to ignore, but Marvel is going to be looking at a future here where their most popular character is going to be entering some untested waters when Robert Downey Jr. steps aside from Iron Man. Now, they've made it pretty clear that they'll just recast, or at least they're seriously thinking of recasting the role. There's been uh, Kevin Feige. Is it Feige? Is that how it's pronounced? Uh, I've heard it Feige. 
Okay, Kevin Feige has made some uh, comments how, in a lot of ways, Iron Man, he considers Iron Man to be a James Bond type character in the sense that, you know, the character survives even though you change the actor. But I think it's pretty, as much as I love Chris Evans as Captain America, I think that Tom Hiddleston's Loki is the second most popular character in the Marvel Universe behind RDJ's Iron Man. So I'm almost wondering that if RDJ does step aside, and yes, he and I are on such close terms that I do call him RDJ, um, you want to have Loki there on some level. I can understand them wanting to take a bit of a break, but I don't want Loki to go away that long because I don't think Robert Downey Jr. is – I think he's going to do Avengers 2 and Avengers 3, and that's it. I don't think there's going to be any more Iron Man films. So I think it would be nice to keep Loki – around not in every film certainly but i wouldn't mind something as simple as well you know look at chris evans cameo in this film right i wouldn't mind seeing loki pop up in one scene in another film just to keep him around but how he sort of chained to asgard right right now with what with the the last you know a couple minutes of the movie which i think um legitimizes him not being in the next couple of movies because he's oh yeah it gives the perfect reason right but but he could pop up here and there i mean he could you know odin has to sneak away to the bathroom fairly frequently (laughs) (laughs) you know the prostate issues when you get older right right (laughs) so i bet he he could pop up other places here and there and i bet he will because tom hiddleston loves that character so much I, i can't see him just giving it up for that long I would just hate to see a character that good lay fallow for too long. Yeah. Step aside for a little bit, but I definitely want to see more Loki. And I don't want to have to wait till a Thor 3 that, that could be at least four or five or six years away, right. depending on how, you know, how packed this slate of upcoming Marvel films is. But then again, as we were talking about this sort of cross-platform direction, they could take. You could have Tom Hiddleston showing up as Loki on this Netflix series for one episode. You know, he doesn't have to be. It doesn't always have to be a two hundred million dollar tentpole summer. Well, this was November, but it doesn't always have to be a huge uh, budgeted film. You, you can have this share, cross-platform shared universe. Right. Well, I know there's a lot of people pushing for a Loki solo movie, and as, <laughs> as much fun as I think that would be, I don't think it, it's it could be a legitimate movie. Um, I just don't think that you could keep that character the way he is and throughout a whole movie of just him. I agree. There's something about the fact that it's good that he's there, but he's always off to the side and pops in. Uh, I think that um, two hours solidly of Loki would probably destroy that character in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think that would get a little tedious and yeah. But but it's a nice thought, and but there is a very big movement, especially on Twitter, uh, of people trying to get a Loki movie. I just don't see it happening. Nah, maybe a maybe a Loki episode on something. Yeah. But uh... no, I, I can't think of anything that I I just want to see just <laughs> Loki in because he has to have somebody to play off of, and for a Loki movie, that kind of suggests him being the protagonist. And I just don't. See and we don't really want him to be the protagonist. However, they are in the comic books giving him his own comic book again, and it's called Loki, Agent of Asgard. 
Oh, I love that title. They are aging Kid Loki a bit, so he's in his late teens, early 20s. And uh, they're changing his look up a little bit, giving him uh, horns again, but smaller horns. And uh, he's going to be doing the jobs for Asgard that can't really be done out in public. So, because Asgard's being ran by the All-Mother now, because Odin's not there. So he's going to be the uh, secret agent for the All-Mother, which I'm really looking forward to. Sounds like a good book. I'll have to pick it up. But it's a very different Loki, and I think it could work that way. And so, But the Thor Loki, I don't think, could have his own movie. Now, hopefully we'll see him soon. Hopefully we'll see Thor soon. I mean, we'll certainly be seeing Chris Hemsworth and uh, at the very least, Avengers 2. Mm-hmm. But there may be some guest appearances in uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. Uh, who knows? The, I've heard that basically there weren't going to be any any cameos in that film. But they've already got Scarlet um, Black Widow. Why did I say Scarlet Black Widow uh, in that film? So, go oh, we'll up, see. It's an exciting time. I'm, I'm looking forward to the next couple films that are going to be coming out. So, do we want to sort of tease what we're going to be doing next time? Yeah, um, we'll do the review for Man of Steel. I will drink quite a bit before doing so, so that I'm so that I had the right amount of anger in my heart. There you go. To dissect this atrocity of a motion picture. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to celebrate the DVD and Blu-ray coming out, I'll be watching that for the first time, and then we'll have your opinion after getting to watch it in the theater and having all this time to stew over it. (laughs) I just get more and more angry. (laughs) I'll wake up. I sometimes wake up at night, just from a deep sleep, and just like, Zach, why did you do that? (laughs) Damn you, Zack Snyder. (laughs) Chris Nolan, stay away from my Superman. <laughs> no, actually, I I did revisit the film uh, in the $2 theater a couple months ago, and I did come away from it um, a little less angry. Uh, I did not have to be escorted out of the theater this time. <laughs> but uh, it definitely uh, – there, there's a great – well, I will save my review for the uh, podcast, but it, w- it will not be a trashing of the film. There's a lot about the film that I love. There, in fact, I do. There's a lot about the film that I really love, um, but there are some. I have some significant issues with the movie, and I'm looking forward to uh, your opinion because, well, you know, because you're my best friend, but also because you don't have that closeness to the character that I have. Superman, ever since I was three or four years old, has been that's that's my guy. That's my character. That's the comic I've pretty much always read. Um, so considering this was Superman for people who, a lot like the Star Trek reboots, this, you know, that was aimed at, yeah, Star Trek fans could enjoy it, but they were trying to open it up to people who weren't Star Trek fans. I feel a lot of ways Man of Steel was very similar in the sense that there were some, you know, some, some tips of the cap to the Superman, longtime Superman fans, but they really wanted to open it up to the people who weren't obsessed with Superman. So I'll be looking forward to, you know, hearing your review and then we can spend an hour shouting at each other and calling down curses upon certain individuals. Sounds good. We'll just make it a whole uh, Superman themed. Maybe we'll get some comic reviews in there, too, and which we may have to do before the movie <laughs> review. Yeah. 
No, no, I will do it afterwards because then when I'm like, like I'm spitting the last of the spittle out of my mouth and I'm just so angry, I can I can pick up some comic books that you and the listeners will not be able to see because it is a podcast and wave them in front of my imaginary audience and say, now this is Superman. Now that we're done with this abortion, let's talk about the good stuff here. As long as you don't get so angry that you throw down your headphones and stomp off from the computer, we'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be about 45 minutes in, and you'll just hear my head explode. <laughs> you'll be like, well, I think Right Next 5 is out here, so uh, let's cut to the theme music, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> and we'll uh, go ahead and do the links here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash geekandpodcast and facebook.com slash geekandpodcast. The music at the beginning and end of the podcast, you can find more out about at facebook.com slash big damn heroes band. Great man. Great music. One, oh, one last thing. Let's, uh, we already, we already plugged the Facebook page, but we want the Facebook page to be a place where people can, can, you know, contribute and create a real community. Every once in a while, uh, Lysmith Smith or myself will jump online. It'll probably be Lysmith Smith because he's the uh, go-getter of the two of us. I'm sort of the laid back, uh, the, I'm sort of the Natalie, Natalie Portman, Jane Foster. I don't really do anything. I just sort of stand there and just sort of recite lines without any enthusiasm. Uh, Lysmith does all the work. Um, so he's sort of like Thor, uh, or the intern actually. But, um, what, you know, from time to time, we're going to post some questions. Uh, I think we have a question up now about, um, what's your most memorable comic book arc? Mm-hmm. Um, just toss some uh, comments out there. Let us know what you think. We may uh, we may quote some of them on the show, make you feel like a celebrity. You know, you'll get a shout out. You'll be able to call your girlfriend, your wife, uh, whoever, grab your dog, point at the dog, point, say, hey, they talk to me. That's me. That's my voice. Well, not my voice, but those are my words. I'm a celebrity. I'm famous. Uh, whatever makes you feel better. Um so, yeah, just uh, join the conversation. I mean, a lot of the stuff that you guys say could end up on the show. It could come up with ideas and topics. Unfortunately, Thor does not come out every week. Uh, you know, Superman Blu-ray doesn't come out every week. There's going to be some weeks where our podcast is going to be uh, spun out of a question or a comment that ends up on the board, on the on the Facebook board. Exactly. So, so uh, definitely uh, get on Facebook and uh, join the conversation, be a part, and uh, show us uh, you guys are a lot smarter than us. So give us some ideas. We're the ultimate slackers. We want you to give us the ideas. That's right. Fans do all the work. They usually do it better than the, than the professionals, that's for sure. All right. So I think that's it, and um, I'll talk to you next week. All right. I'm looking forward to it, and uh, we will uh, see you uh, next week.